Hey, Hela, how you doing? <laughs> Great. How about you guys? Excellent. Excellent. Good to see you. You as well, Alex. It's been a while. It's been so long, so long. And I know you, uh, you know, you haven't seen Jeff in a while either. No, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I probably about the last time I saw both of you were similar times. Yeah, probably so. I'm just so jealous. You guys got to work like together for a long time. That's that's on my list, Hayla. Just one way or another, I'm going to try to okay. work that out. We worked you. together well, I, for so, so good, so much that she had to leave. <laughs> so I, so I, I'm just saying, I, you know, I'm taking it personally. So I think there's a correlation, but we'll get into that. Well, I, I did recruit Alex, I got to say. So, yeah, if you call that recruiting, it's like all of a sudden I didn't feel like I had an option. <laughs> but it was in a good way. It was a good way. It was a heck of a, I mean, I always tell people it's one of the better sales. Uh, it was, it was great because it, it came down to values and purpose and, and all that. So, yeah, so uh, it was very effective. And then all of a sudden you're like, I feel like I can't say no, that's how it should work. Right. <laughs> that's the idea. That's why she's the best. Uh, well, Hala, good to see you. And, um, and, uh, you know, whenever Jeff and I, uh, get to reunite with friends on this, we always realize how much we miss the, uh, pre-pandemic world and hopefully coming soon, a world where we could see people, you know, in person. And so um, as we start our conversation here, you know, you know, let's start, you know, 2020 has been an, um, just an insane year in every dimension possible. And even if there was not everything going on in the world, your year in itself is quite a bit to talk about. So actually take us back though to a year ago to January, 2020, and what were you projecting forward of Hala's 2020? What was that gonna be about as you sat there a year ago? Well, I can certainly tell you without a doubt that I did not picture myself uh, running the Woodruff Art Center <laughs> and uh, nor did I picture myself, uh, you know, not wearing high heels for, I don't know, let's call it nine months. Uh, and uh, really, yeah, I mean, it, seriously, I mean, you know, nobody could have predicted, but, but it just, it did, has been definitely an unusual year for me personally and career-wise on top of everything else, so. We had the chance, I was, I was telling Alex, um, I had the chance to take my leadership to the chamber, um, I don't know, a year or two ago, and, and you yep. were gracious, Hala, to spend an hour and uh, instill some leadership principles to my team, and I so appreciate that. One of the things that struck me about that was how full you are about uh, what you spend time on, what you get involved in. Um, my sense is like, when you decide to commit, you're in and you're going to give it your all. And, and so therefore you have to be very careful about the things that you, you jump into. Um, and I, so, so I imagine there's a passion for, for what you're doing now with Woodruff that you just couldn't say no. Well, ab absolutely. I mean, it, it's not only the incredible world-class art that, that goes on at that place and, and what that institution means to Atlanta uh, but the, it was also, you can't say no to the people. So when someone like Doug Hertz uh, asks you to, uh, you know, be a part of, of working, uh, you know, on Woodruff during the pandemic, um, you know, you, re you really can't say no. And then the other thing I'd say about the Woodruff Arts Center, um, you know, everybody knows, again, that it's world-class art. Everybody knows that it's it's a treasure for Atlanta. We always talked about it when we were doing economic development, you know, what it meant to have that type of art center here in America, here in Atlanta and for attracting companies, especially international companies, attracting talent. But a couple of things that I'm just not sure 
uh, everybody really understands about the Art Center. And, and here they are. One is about the enormous amount of work that uh, the three art partners do in um, arts education and arts access and art equity. I mean, if you look at the dollars spent, we are the largest arts educator in Georgia. And it's just pretty incredible. And uh, we, we need to, to keep doing that service. So whenever I'm talking about uh, asking for funds right now, especially <laughs> during COVID, I mentioned uh, the art, I mentioned education, access and equity. And then the third piece is um, social justice. Uh, the Alliance for, has just put out, excuse me, the High actually has just put out a report of uh, looking at their demographic shifts of patrons and artists that they've shown, exhibits, et cetera, over the last five years. And it's really pretty incredible. We are among their, the, uh, the most diverse uh, patron audience uh, of any place, a museum in America. And I can go on and on about the Alliance and the symphony, but I'll, I'll take a breath now, but uh, it's, uh, there, there's lots to be proud of there. Well, and Haley, before you even were at Woodruff, just, you know, your work at the chamber, I mean, you, you, you have a true passion for the arts. And um, so I think, I, which is just beautiful connection there. But it's interesting, though, when you, when you talk about, you know, getting to Jeff's point in terms of, you know, how you move forward and your leadership moments. You know, one thing I've noticed, uh, you know, working with you is that, you know, you, you definitely, like many good CEOs, you know, it's focused on execution and efficiently execute. But, but I think you bring something into it in terms of this also persistent intellectual curiosity, right? If you, you need, you, I know you, if you get bored of something, it's, it's not good, it. but it kind of pushes organization forward. Yeah. So how, yeah. do you, how do you kind of, uh, whether it's at, at Woodruff or the Chamber or, or even your transition from corporate to nonprofit that you've done, when you start getting quote unquote bored in a role, what do you do to bring that intellectual curiosity back? Well, the good news is I've had the opportunity to uh, move around a little bit in my career. Yeah. And I think part of that does get to the fact of, you know, if you kind of conquer something, if there's some things that needed to be transformed or fixed or worked on, and, you know, you're just on fire during that, that period, because it's, it's, you know, you're working with the incredible people, you're, you're doing things that you can actually see the movement. So once that is over, once you've done it sort of at the same institution for, you know, a number of years, there is a tendency to be, to have less, I guess, fire in the belly. And that's one of the reasons that it, it's such a pleasure and a gift to me personally to get to have done several different things in Atlanta. And the Woodruff is no different. I mean, I've been involved there, you know, as a volunteer and a patron, uh, you know, patron forever and, you know, volunteer since probably 2011. But just being able to be, you know, that close to the arts and see all the things that they've done. And yeah, there, there has not been one boring second since I've been in this role. And I don't think there's going to be for a while because there's, you know, COVID has been a right. very, very tough hit, as you would imagine. What, you know, I'm super curious. Um, you are one of the few people that I know um, that have led corporate civic and nonprofit at really the highest levels. Most people check one of those boxes, maybe two. Um, and so as you think about your journey thus far, um, 
does the order of how those happen for you, did that make an impact on the leader you are? Would you, would you switch that up? Would you tell your younger self, start here first? Or how, how do you think about that? Uh, no, I think the order was just fine because he, here's the thing. I don't think I would have had the opportunity to have worked uh, at the Metro Atlanta Chamber and or Woodruff if I hadn't had the corporate experience. And I will tell you this, I think corporate is easier any day because, you know, I mean, ESG is, is a thing now and it's a good thing. And it was always there to a certain degree, but in, in the corporate world, you make your numbers or you don't, you know where you stand every day and it's just a straighter shot. Um, but, but I don't think I would have, have had the opportunities that I had in the civic world and nonprofit had I not had some of that um, just, you know, good old fashioned operations background and strategy background and that kind of thing. So I, I, I think the order uh, took care of itself. Yeah, and Hale, you know, talked a, a, a bit about this too. I mean, and I know it is it could be disorienting going from corporate to to a nonprofit or civic because the that that not having that ticker symbol to to follow, <laughs> you know, each quarter or even the analysts bidding you up each quarter, whatever it is, that it's it's a pretty it becomes pretty linear in corporate. A lot of complexity, but it becomes the one number at the end of the day. Um, but it seems like with nonprofit and civic. Um, at least a sense I got, and definitely something I learned from you is um, it could get really easy to start measuring tactics, but you always have to keep a bigger purpose and vision in mind. So how do you think about that? And how do you keep that going for whether it was the chamber or Woodruff or Susan B. Komen? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, Alex. To me, the um, sort of the goals and objectives are more difficult to measure. I mean, the easy part in a civic and especially a nonprofit is you know what your mission is. And a lot of people join the organization for the mission. I mean, they are excellent workers and have lots of different skill sets, but they join for that mission and it's important to them. So that part is easy. But when you're trying to set goals in a nonprofit, you certainly have your financial goals because you've got to make enough money to, to get the job done and you've got to put the dollars that are given to you to work. But when you're, you know, I, I always use Komen as, a, as an example. I mean, the, the biggest measurement there is, did you save any lives with the scientific research you funded, with the access things that you gave? And you know, there's there's no way to 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 put a goal to that, but but it's it's what at the end of the day you were working on, and even even with the arts, uh, you know, you're hoping to create empathy, you're hoping to create um, a connection to the community, you're you're hoping to create a lot of things that are somewhat intangible, but we all know, I mean, art is has been around since time immemorial, so we. We know that it's important and it's important to mankind, uh, but these things are hard to measure. And, and they're just, um, you can, if, you, if you're not careful, you're right. You just kind of start counting the things that you did versus counting the impact, which is harder to do in nonprofit. Um, and I don't, I'm sorry, Alex, I'm gonna derail us just for a moment because I, I got to ask this question. Um, one of the do. things, <laughs> one of the things I'm really focused on um, is, uh, certainly working with nonprofits, but from a for-profit perspective, um, really bring, bringing to life an authentic purpose, right. not just something that's, you know, part of a, a 
phrase on the wall, but like, really, that's a hard thing to do. It's inherent in nonprofits, right? Like you said, you're right. saving lives, you're doing these things. I'm curious, you know, we talked about the order, but let's say you were to do another for-profit now that you've had so much nonprofit and civic experience. Um, do you think it's possible to get close to that with a for-profit and, and maybe how would you go about that? You know, I, I actually think it, it is, it is. And I'll tell you the one that was easiest for me. And this was um, being president of Church's Chicken. And that was frankly, before everybody and their brother and sister started talking about purpose, you know, we didn't, nobody was going around saying purpose driven then you did have missions and visions and all that, but it just, you know, this was a number of years ago, but the thing that was sort of our, there were two rallying cries for us at churches that we got really emotional about and focused on. We were, um, in, um, you know, at the time, what was referred to in um, a lot of inner city markets, underserved markets in terms of just having fast food available. And the, the thing about churches specifically is we had fresh fried chicken, never frozen. We had vegetables. Yes, we tried to fry even the coleslaw sometimes, <laughs> but we had a real meal for people's, a meal they could share so that it, you know, it was the chicken and the sides and all that for a very, very reasonable price. And the thing is, we felt like that was a service to the community. And then the other piece is, the jobs that were created in those communities and the kind of the the peace resistance is the franchisees there's one guy i always use him as an example he started out in 1968 as a fry cook he is a multi-million million multi-millionaire person today and he um, had, uh, he was in Florida, he became a franchisee, he owns, I don't even know how many restaurants now, employees, I don't know how many people in his family. So the thing is, because of the, the, the group we served, we were about a third African-American, a third Hispanic, and a third um, blue collar uh, white. And we, we got excited about it. We felt like we were doing something that was important. And the franchise model, is just a good way for people who want to be in business for themselves and create some wealth on their own. So, you know, we, I, I felt really good about what we did there. You know, it's interesting, Hala, you know, uh, this, the, of course you're in Atlanta, we're such a home for franchise sure. business model. And of course you, you uh, ran an Arby's as well. And of course, you know, now with uh, Focus and Inspire and what we have, you know, not to mention Chick-fil-A and all that, so much going on, but what one learning I've had uh, over the last few years getting closer to these businesses is that particularly for the franchise models, you have, it's this interesting dichotomy of you're running this corporate business, but you're also enabling small businesses as well too, empowering the economy that way. How do you, from when you're leading those, those organizations, how do you balance that, you know, the needs for the corporations with the needs of these thousands and thousands of small businesses, you know, around the country, around the world? Yeah, I mean, you're so right about that, Alex. And that's one of the reasons it's it's such a popular way to create wealth in America, yeah. or really all around the world. It's the balance is tricky because you have you have two people to serve one, the customer, 
And I think that's where, in a sense, your, your corporate strategy and your marketing and all that obviously comes in. And then you have the franchisee, because if you're not making it easy for the franchisee to get done what they need to do to serve your ultimate customer, you know, then you're not going to make it. And sometimes those things can feel like there's a tension there and the best franchisors. And again, we've got the cream of the crop here in Atlanta. You know, you mentioned Chick-fil-A, you mentioned Inspire, Focus, all these people there. It's really pretty phenomenal, uh, but you got to be good at both. And, and they, and, and sometimes those things feel at cross purposes, but I mean, it's a beautiful model because you, you've got the corporate and then you're just small business. And some of those small businesses become very large businesses over time. Yeah. And, and so, um, so Hala, kind of continuing, you know, uh, kind of on the, on the business side as well, too, and kind of getting it to the day and really maybe starting to talk about 2021. And this is something you've started, uh, you know, prior to now, but you are very active with boards. Yes. <laughs> so, so talk a little bit about what does it really mean? Because, because I, I think there is a little bit of a mystique um, for for many people. Because obviously, very few people are get to uh, be on for, particularly for profit boards. Um, so, what does that really mean, and and why is this a you know, and what role, do you, what value do you think you bring to these boards of directors that you're that you're joining? Well, um, the, you know, I think I think each individual, and and definitely in my case, I think I bring a little bit of a different something to each of the boards, but the two um, publicly traded boards I'm on right now are both New York Stock Exchange, S&P 500. One is Lamb Weston, which you may not have heard of, but you've definitely had Lamb Weston franchise because we are the largest uh, frozen potato manufacturer in the country and second in the world. So you know, I was asked to be on that board, I believe, because of my background in, in food service, you know, at Arby's and um, churches, et cetera. And uh, so I feel like what I bring to that board is able to see the operator's view or the, the corporate view and to that point, the franchise view. So that has been um, a great board. It's based in Idaho, as you might expect, with a potato company. And just really a great, great group of people and have enjoyed it so much. Um, I'm on the nominating and governance committee there and the comp committee. And then the other one uh, that I'm currently serving on is uh, Fleet Corps Technologies right here in Atlanta. And it's a payments company, uh, started out as fuel cards, but does much, much more than that now. And, you know, I'm not a technology expert nor a payments expert, but again, I think they were looking for people who have run companies and understand they, they you know, it's getting a little better and broader now, but for a while there, it was, you know, you pretty much needed that CEO title to have, you know, to be asked to be on these boards. And then in this case, um, Fleet Corps is an important company in town, and I think having the Atlantic connection uh, was important. And that's another great board. I mean, the growth there is phenomenal. A lot of, you know, M&A opportunities on both those companies. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a, I mean, it, it's just a great way to keep your finger on the pulse of business. I mean, it's especially uh, important and um, exciting for me that even though I'm running a nonprofit, I'm getting the opportunity right. to have my finger on the pulse of business. And then my private uh, for-profit board is a, um, a Carlisle uh, portfolio company. 
And it is around um, packaging, paper, plastic, uh, things for food service. And again, I think a lot of my background being an operator who uses those use, used to use those products is kind of what got me on that board and um, another great board. I mean, so I, and I've been on two other uh, publicly traded boards um, in the past, one that was sold and another one I had to drop off actually when I went to Arby's, but it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's exciting and it's um, a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And going back to, um, you know, you being sort of purposeful about the things that you get involved in, I am here because I, I have to imagine based on the things you've accomplished, um, you're in demand to, to join boards and probably asked frequently. What is your, what is your sort of criteria when you're thinking, all right, when I'm really going to weigh the pros and cons of this one, what puts it over the edge? Well, you do want to feel like you can contribute, you know, for starters and, you know, just frankly, I mean, I felt very comfortable going on the Lamb Weston board because I just, I had Lamb, I had been a uh, Lamb West, I had been a customer of Lamb Weston. I knew their product. I knew their uh, reputation. I knew their um, ability to be innovative. So the first thing you want to know is that you're, you're not just going to kind of be there. Um, I can say on the Fleet Corps board, I think every other board member on that board, you know, knows more than I do about payments. So I try just to come at it from the standpoint of, you know, managing large companies. And I also have to say on every board I've ever been on, I've tried to be a champion for more women on the boards, uh, more people of color on the boards. And, um, and now I'm, uh, you know, probably the, the first one to, to bring up some of the ESG types of information. I mean, everybody's working on it. Everybody needs to, but there are, are ways to do that, that, that really enhance the value of the company. So that's, um, that's a kind of an interesting place to play right now. Just so, one more, one yeah, more go ahead, go ahead, sorry, sorry. We have, um, because this, this uh, podcast we do isn't um, like topic specific, there's a lot of people that I know in town that run nonprofits and so therefore they manage a board um, and they, they listen in and I know they'll listen to this one. So having been on multiple boards, having, you know, built and run boards, um, are there one or two things that you think make, an, a bo- make a board effective versus maybe some that haven't been as effective? You know, from a nonprofit standpoint, one of the boards that I am very privileged to serve on is Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. And that may be the best run board, probably is the best, certainly the best run nonprofit board I've, I've ever served on. It's it's amazing. Of course, it, it needs to be because children's health is, uh, you know, is what they do. But it's, it's run to me very similar to a publicly traded company board. You feel the responsibility. You uh, know that the management team is phenomenal, incredible, and they must be because the mission there is is so big. So that's the one I would shout out. If anybody's trying to learn from a well-run board, um, I would look at Donna Hyland, you know, the CEO there, Tommy Holders, the chair right now. I think it's been a very well-run board for years and years, and it's certainly my privilege to serve on that. And I would imagine this year, uh, I could just imagine with, with COVID hitting the, 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 I mean, it's always a massive responsibility, but my guess is your activity with that board was pretty significant this year. 
Yeah. And, you know, even though, thank goodness, children aren't right. being hit as hard, you, it doesn't mean that shortages and fatigue and dealing with the public in a very different way and all the things that you can imagine. And there, you know, now the vaccines coming out and who gets it when there, there's a lot of complexity that's added and the team has just been phenomenal. I mean, it, it has been a, a masterful um, thing to watch. I mean, it really, really has. So, uh, so speaking of that, we start transitioning uh, as we are now here in 2021, Hala, and you know we've we've asked a lot of people of how they dealt with COVID when it hit. So let's maybe pivot that a little bit as we start to wrap up here. But with 2021, brand new year, what's kind of top of mind for you going into the year, and what are you looking most forward to once we get all these vaccines done? What do you want to get back to doing? Well, that's a good question. Well, first of all, and I, I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, as they say, yeah. but I think we all have to, you know, listen, am I going to celebrate on New Year's Eve this year? Yes. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. But I think we have to realize that maybe even the first six months of 2021 is going to be pretty tough too. Right. We just cannot take our foot off trying to be careful, wearing our mask and socially distancing and everything while we're getting the vaccine. Um, but after that, I mean, look, I'm going to be dying to go see and experience the art that I'm supposedly, you know, getting to be a, a part of. So it's, uh, you know, I, I watched the virtual. I went to the drive-in uh, that the Alliance did. I've been to the high because the high is open. Time tickets, very safe. You wear your mask. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's going to be like, wow, I'm going to go get to see the art that I'm having the privilege of working with these days. I think it's going to be so much pent up demand for that. I, I know <laughs> incredible things happen this year with people turning things virtual, whether it's conferences, Absolutely. arts and all that. It's amazing what's done. I think there's permanent changes to some delivery platforms, but I think we're at a point now where people want to be in that, in that theater. They want to walk around and, and just get all their senses, you know, walking around the art center. So I'm sure there'll be going to be some pent up demand at some point. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and the, the players, the actors, the musicians, yes. they want to play in front of an audience. They want to be there. So uh, it's, it's going to be, the arts is going to be one of the really interesting uh, kind of uh, rebounds, if you will. Uh, and oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. You have uh, do you have anything as we wrap up here, Jeff? Um, I uh, I can't wait to come back. By the way, as well. Um, and um, there's been so many things. We've got two two of our kids have some health concerns, so we're being like super cautious. But um, I love um, I love what you guys have been doing. And as I think about businesses and and pivoting during um, this crisis, uh, you know what you all have done with with all the Woodruff properties has been really remarkable. And hopefully from that, you'll be able to reach more and more people, which I know helps with equity and inclusion, right? Is, is now yeah. with virtual experiences. Absolutely. And, and that is, you know, there are some silver linings coming out of this. And I think for both the Alliance and the ASO, they have reached foreign countries. Mm -hmm. They've reached something like 45 states. So we've, we have been able to spread, uh, spread the message, so to speak. And, and I think some of that will continue. So you're, you're absolutely right. This, this, is, uh, this could be good for access overall. Well, Hala, as we, wrap, as we go to wrap up here, the one thing we could have done, and I know it would have been an easy conversation, we could have spent 30 minutes just talking about 
your grandbaby and yes we could yes and, we could. and, and I, I could have shown some photographs but alas you didn't ask me see we could well, that'll, that'll be it'll have to be a special we'll have to have a special on that too <laughs> that's right well she's that special but but i'll let you guys off the hook on that one <laughs> well hello uh, thanks it's so good first of all so good seeing you so good seeing you can't wait till we can do this in person uh thanks for your time today and thanks for joining us here on the jeff and alex podcast Thanks to both of you guys. I love what you're doing. So take care.